the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back and happy Thursday, July 29th, 2021. Is it me or is this year going fast? Whatever happened to how 2021 was going to be such the better year? How, whatever happened, whatever happened to coming out of the cold, dark winter? Whatever happened to enjoy your 4th of July barbecues because you wore masks and you got vaccines? I, I, I want to come back to all of that. But before I do, let me, as we often do here, start a little bit more wholesale and work towards the retail. I was put in mind this morning of Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, quote in God in the Dock saying, let us, writing, let us not be deceived by phrases about man taking charge of his own destiny. All that can really happen is that some men will take charge of the destiny of others. The more completely we are planned, the more powerful they will be. Of all tyrannies, a tyranny exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. That bears repeating. Of all the tyrannies, a tyranny exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It may be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity, which is avarice, may at some point be satiated, quenched. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so, do so with the approval of their own conscience. They may be more likely to go to heaven, yet at the same time likelier to make a hell of earth. The kindness stings with intolerable insult. To be cured against one's will and cured of states which may not regard as disease is to be put on a level of those who have not yet reached the age of reason or those who never will. To be classed with infants, imbeciles, and domestic animals. Ever get the feeling your government feels like it's treating you like an infant, an imbecile, or a domestic animal? Ever get the feeling that a tyranny is being exercised in the name of good for its victims, but may indeed end up being the most oppressive kind of tyranny. Look at what we're expected to obey. Not only, mem not only the memory holes, which the Democrats put us through, not only that, not only that, but memory holes that if brought back to earth— were put back line on line in parallel with the things that are being said today versus the thing that things that were being said yesterday or the day before yesterday or the year before yesterday. Absolutely, 100% contradict each other. It's as if we are living in some kind of 1984 where the news speak isn't the same from day to day, 
but changes hourly. It's as if, in the, in the short story Harrison Bergeron by Kurt Vonnegut, you are expected to understand what not to think, lest the bell go off in your head to scatter your thoughts. But you can't train against it by having new thoughts, because the next day those new thoughts will be the cause for the scattered brain clang that the government officials have enforced on you. Again, I give you Joe Biden only two months ago. Therefore, if you've been fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Let me repeat, if you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. That was Joe Biden two months ago. He gave a big press conference today. Here's Joe Biden today. I've said from the beginning that we will be guided by the science. So here's what the science tells us. On Tuesday, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, announced its new mask recommendation in parts of the country where COVID cases are substantially high, where people didn't get vaccinated which they define as 50 new cases for every 100,000 people in a week. The CDC recommends you wear a mask when you're in public and indoors, like work or in a grocery store. That's true for both the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Why? Because even if you've been fully vaccinated and protected from severe illness from COVID-19, you could have the Delta variant in your system. Stop. You could have the Delta variant in your system, even if you've been vaccinated. He would later go on to say that this is a disease of the unvaccinated. How can both things be true in the same speech? Never mind. How can it be true that science told us no masks two months ago, but masks for everyone, including the vaccinated today? Has anyone seen science change that fast, ever, ever? I ask for any examples where the uniform agreement or at least the majoritarian or hell, I'll even take a plurality of agreement among scientists has whiplashed and changed 180 degrees so fast. Water is a liquid. Mm, That was the science today. We consider water to be a solid. Now, what's also interesting about this is until today, you didn't know, not really, you didn't know if your community was one of these communities where the spread was considered high enough where everyone needed to be masked. So today, two days after Rochelle Walensky, the director of the CDC, announced the new policy, Two days after, Joe Biden said the CDC is very clear as to where this spread is so high and the masking will be required amongst the vaccinated. Let me tell you something. It's not so clear. I've been doing public policy research for an awfully long time. And if it took me 20 minutes yesterday to surf around and find out where it was, I wonder about the people who haven't got the same experience, who don't have the same experience and background in researching these things. I truly do. 
So one might say, well, you'll expect to get it from the press, the journalists. That's what they're there for, right? Mm, Not so much. Not so much. They're not telling you the things you need to know. If you go to the Washington Post this morning, for example, they have a big, huge story. CDC reversal on indoor masking prompts experts to ask, where's the data? The journalists don't have the data on what Rochelle Walensky is saying. Neither neither does Rochelle Walensky, or she would be sharing it with us. Neither does the White House, or they would be sharing it with us. In fact, they told us the data will be published imminently. So first the conclusion and then the research, I suppose. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is to disaggregate the studies that they have put out. And when you do, you find an interesting thing. Some of them aren't even accepted peer-reviewed studies but are in an experimental phase, just like the vaccine is used in an emergency authorization. I suppose science all of a sudden can jump peer review. I'm talking serious journals like Nature magazine can jump peer review, that is to say, review by other experts to make sure the methodology is correct and the conclusions match the research. They can leapfrog over that as well. Here's the thing. I said it yesterday, and I'll say it again today. Be afraid. But don't be afraid of the virus itself. When Joe Biden says this is a question of life and death, vaccination, I will tell you that there was once a little bit of a children's story he might have read when he was a young man about a boy who cried wolf. When you tell me that you have to radically alter your life or your children's life because there's a 99.9% chance you or your children will survive if you contract a virus that is extrapolating throughout society. If that's a matter of life and death, 99.9% survival rate, then either I need a new dictionary or the president does. But I'll tell you this, as of right now, as of this very moment, I still know what the word tyranny means. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. There's a little Lee Majors there for you. Who knew he could sing, right? Uh, 602-508-0960 if you want to get in on the conversation. Dana's in Chandler. Wonderful to start off with you, Dana. How are you? I'm fabulous. How are you? I am doing just fine. Thank you. I just have to say, I'm so done listening to all of these buffoons about this COVID stuff. Yeah. I'm old enough. I remember when they said the science was settled. Yes, now the science is changing? So which is it? Is it settled or is it changing? It's because settled I'm when they tell beyond. you it's settled, and it changes when they tell you it changes. I honestly don't know if um, – I honestly don't know if there's another example of science changing so quickly. Do you? Do you have an example of it? 
it's mind-boggling. It really is. I mean, I can't keep up anymore. I'm exhausted thinking about it. Well, there's probably an element of that being done deliberately, if they can wear us down. I mean, it's interesting when you think about what Joe Biden said he could do today within his power, was planning on doing today within his constitutional power with the mandating of disclosures of federal employees. You're talking about four million people, by the way, plus federal employees, um, and that they would have to you know, disclose. He didn't say how, but they would have to attest to their vaccination status. I don't know if they'll have to do it under oath or not. Um, but, you know, then he said, if you choose not to get a vaccine, you will be tested twice a week. Increasingly, this is becoming a mandate, whether or not it is called a mandate. Increasingly, it is no longer a choice, Dana. Yeah, and what happened to my body, my choice? Or does that only apply to abortion? It only applies to whatever the left says it applies to. And so when they tell you on the left that the government should not get between you and your doctor or the government should not be in your bedroom, although I don't know of very many abortions that take place in a bedroom, you've certainly heard the chant. It only applies to the procedures they want to think about and the procedures they believe in. It's it's nothing about science. It's a lot about political science, but it's a lot about corrupted political science. You know, they seize this oddly moral high ground or attempt to attempt to when they say there's nothing about this that is political and it shouldn't be political. It's a little late to start down that road when Biden and Harris last year were saying if Trump said get the virus, they ain't taking it. A little late to start that game with us. Just a little. But regardless of whether they said that last year or not, and let's pretend, let's memory hole on their behalf and say they never did say that. They never did say that. They have changed the plain meaning of everything from patriotism to politics by talking about the patriotic duty of wearing a mask and the patriotic duty before that of not having a 4th of July barbecue unless you unless the American people complied with the vaccination recommendations. The number of things they redefine from patriotism to politics to public health must also include the notion of settled science, Dana. It has to. All of these terms are fluid including the term settled science, ironically enough. It, it, it really, it, it's too hard to follow anymore. And like you said, you know, I, I'm exhausted. Well, I think that's it. where people are. So what is it now nationally? A little less than 50 percent aren't vaccinated, something like that. A little less than 50 percent aren't vaccinated. Tell me what you think at this point, given all the messaging uh, given all the peer pressure, given all the statements and writings that have been done, do you really think this speech or any other measure he described today is going to move that needle very much? No, if anything, it's, it's, it's going to make people dig their heels in and, and really say, uh-uh, I'm, I'm not doing this. And the other question that people are not asking is, if the government can force employees or government federal employees they can force anybody to put something into their body 
they can just as equally force anybody in anywhere to take something out of their body. Can they not? Of course they can. And all they have to do is invoke the shibboleth public health. Um, Look. You could lose a kidney then. There were, were, yes, there there were people who we were related to who were alive, I'm assuming, given your parents and my parents, who were alive when the Supreme Court upheld forced sterilizations. Forced sterilizations of second and third generation criminals. Oliver Wendell Holmes said something in his opinion, trying to uh, upholding forced sterilizations, something like two generations of imbeciles is enough. That was a famous Supreme Court case. When our parents were alive or our grandparents were alive for that, we knew people who were alive for that is my point. Uh, the, the precedence of what this country can do when it is in its most tyrannous or autocratic grip is um, stunning and all the more reason for what one of our other fellow listeners and callers, Tina, calls the need for a Bill of Rights attitude. I'll say it again. I said it yesterday. I think John Gabriel said it first. The reason there's a Bill of Rights is because there's a, a, a CDC. Even though the Bill of Rights preceded the CDC, our founders were smart enough to know that there would be attempts to engage in autocracy and tyranny here. Not just smart enough. They were divinely inspired. There's no way that they could have known what the future would hold, although they certainly knew what man could and was capable of. Well, that was that 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 was a sentiment, Dana, that we were all taught up until about 35 years ago when the distinction in nature was between man and animal on the one hand and man and God on the other. That was the distinction our Declaration of Independence made. That was the distinction almost every American abided by. That no longer is true. I don't think people think that way anymore, at least not enough. I think too many people think that um, the concept of nature dictating anything is merely based on positive law, which is to say preference, which is to, stay, which is to say individual caprice. The notion that I can tell you I'm a woman even though I'm a man is an example of that assault on nature. But there are other assaults on nature. When we divide people by race, for example, and dictate that certain races should be entitled to or or privileged with certain rights that other races are not entitled to, that is a violation also of nature. It seems, in other words, Dana, the synchronicity of the wheels that spin having to do with common sense and nature or natural law used to be, as I say, in sync. Those wheels, teeth, ground together. They no longer do. Nature has been redefined. Common sense has been redefined. Pronouns are being redefined. But the most important of those pronouns is the word I. And I'll tell you why when we come back. But if Donald Trump tells us I should t- that we should take it, I'm not taking it. To the Seth Leibson Show, 
508-0960. You're giving me a lot of gestures. What am I to interpret? Use your words. Oh, now did you have a question that we said you should bring up on air? Is it ripe? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to talk about that for a sec? Why say 50 out of 100,000? So this is what Joe Biden said today was the definition of an area with high outbreaks and high Delta variants, right? If it's 50 50 cases out of 100,000, why are they saying that? Right. Why not reduce it to a lower – the lowest common denominator? Well, uh, what do you think the answer is? I think there's two answers. I think the first answer – is often in population studies you do things based on 100,000. That probably is not something Joe Biden knows a whole lot or cares a whole lot about. My guess is there's another reason, and it has to do with the saleability of the panic. Uh, Because 50 sounds a lot larger than, what, 10? Would that be the equivalent? Yeah, either 5 out of 10,000 or... Even one out of, what would that be? One out of 2,000? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One out of, yeah. So five out of 10,000 is the same as 50 out of 100,000. But I think they want the number 50. Now, what's interesting about this is you may want to know just how bad this thing is. California retrenching, Washington, D.C. retrenching, Missouri retrenching, all kinds of these places going back into lockdown, shutdown high mask and testing mode over this new outbreak. Uh, let's look at Washington, D.C. They're remasked now, and they're going into a, a, um, a, um, a mandate on Saturday. It's already being done effectively in businesses and government offices, certainly at the House of Representatives, but there will be a citywide mandate on Monday. As of July 28th, which is yesterday, do you know what the seven-day average of COVID deaths is in Washington, D.C.? Answer, zero. Seven-day rolling average. Um, if we wanted to talk about California, it's a bigger state, so you'd expect a bigger number. It's one of the three largest states in the union, isn't it? You'd expect a much longer, much larger number. Do you know what their 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 average daily death reporting is showing? Seven day average of twenty six deaths in the state of California. What is that? A state of forty million people? They know what a high death rate is because of that dark winter. They know and have been through high death rates. They were doing sixes and seven hundreds a day. A day only to get to 26 for a seven-day average, thus necessitating a re, uh, uh, an upending of the entire state. Now, I've been obviously uh, impressed and supportive of our governor, Doug Ducey, not playing this game, and thank him for that, I do here now. That having been said... There's enough columnists at the Arizona Republic and other news organizations and health institutions in this state that feel, as I do, that their opinion should matter. E.J. Montini at the Arizona Republic is consumed, consumed 
with the dangerous state of public health Governor Ducey is putting us in, according to E.J. Montini, by not enforcing mandates and shutdowns. He had no such concern about public health, by the way, when, to quote a reader, excuse me, to quote a listener, James, um, when um, he had no problem when the proposition to put an illegal Schedule One substance into our community was put up to a vote of 18-year-olds, 18-year-olds. In fact, he was a cheerleader for it. He supported that effort. He supported that effort. And by the way, as James says, don't you tell me for a second that when I pull up to a stoplight and I smell the smell of marijuana coming out of the car next to me, that that person is only putting their own life in their hands. Oh, no. Gavin Newsom signed off on that, as did E.J. Montini. This notion of caring for other people is really very, very subjective. It's so subjective that they should not be taken seriously. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Of all the um, constitutional infringements and violations we speak of, one we haven't brought up uh, recently or hasn't been brought up by one of uh, our audience members recently, but we are always conscientious about, is that of the Second Amendment. There's a really interesting case winding through the federal courts out of uh, the New York area in what's known as the Second Circuit up there, having to do with, with what... The law in New York requires citizens to show, which is proper cause as a prerequisite to carry a handgun. Two fantastic Second Amendment attorneys uh, are on the line with us who wrote a brief in this case on behalf of the Goldwater Institute here in Arizona. I should really say on behalf of the people's right to keep and bear arms. They are Camden Webb and Alexander Gormley. Uh, Let me start with you, Mr. Webb, and thank you both for not only this brief and bringing it to my attention, but for joining us today. Mr. Webb, if I misdescribed the case, feel free to correct it, but tell me what this case is about. Sure, Seth. Thanks for having us on today. We appreciate it very much. Um, So, yeah, so... um, in New York, you have to show proper cause to get a concealed carry permit, and the state also does not allow open carry. Um, so the issue left open after the 2008 Heller decision, which held that the people have a right to keep arms in their home, is do you have a right to bear arms outside your home? And in New York, and certain areas of New York, especially in New York City, it's, it's really almost impossible. And the case is about whether the Second Amendment guarantees you that right to carry in some form outside your home. Now, one of the interesting things, and you go into this in your brief, and I'll, I'll just throw these as open-ended questions. Maybe, perhaps, Zan, if you want to just do this as the, as, the, as the second question, but whoever wants to answer whatever question, that's perfectly fine. One of the interesting things you show is this isn't true in all states. New York is in a minority of states that put these pressures on the American citizen. Is that right, Zan? That's correct, Seth, and thanks for having of me course. on the show. Long-time listener and friend, as you know, and great to be on it. 
That's absolutely right, though. And oh, let's we'll not be- let's let let's not bury the lead here, Zan. I gave you your start in this very very lucrative and 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 wonderful career that you have been subject to. Let's let's be we tell the truth on this show. That that's that's correct. Okay, uh, that is the, <laughs> I would never deny that. Mr. Especially, Webb is now uh, saying so. Now I know who to blame. Okay. <laughs> But, but you're absolutely right. And, and one of the primary aims of our brief, which we submitted in support of the petitioners as, as an amicus, was to show that New York is really an extreme outlier in its restriction and its show-cause regime. When you break down each state, uh, thankfully, almost all the states except six, including New York, really don't provide such a subjective, open-ended standard. They essentially allow you to have concealed carry if you meet the statute's objective requirements. Some states are obviously looser than others, and we could probably all guess which ones those are. Some are more restrictive, but it's really just New York and five others, which off the top of my head, I think are Hawaii, Maryland, New Jersey, Rhode Island, and California. Right. Um, are, are really the only ones that are that restrictive. And what we wanted to bring to the Supreme Court's attention was if you strike down New York's law and along with it, and the dominoes of the other five states tumbling, this is not going to be some sort of sea change. It's really going to bring New York and the rest of the states in line. So hopefully that point is not lost on our great justices, at least our great conservative justices. Yeah, though, that's actually a great point, not just in line with the majority of the states, but in line with what the majority of the states has have, have interpreted the Second Amendment as, which really at the heart of it is, in the words you just used, uh, Zan, and either one of you again, Feel free to answer. You said the phrase, it may, these kinds of laws reduce the Second Amendment to a subjective and arbitrary test. Let me just read from the brief. It's, it's a, a very powerful point. In addition to removing citizens' ability to defend themselves, these kinds of opaque, subjective, and restrictive licensing standards invite arbitrary decision-making, abuse, and a, as a result, mistrust. A lot of us know that problem when it comes to the First Amendment, but when it comes to the Second Amendment, which is obviously, uh, you know, about a lot of things, including imminent self-defense, important and timely self-defense, we're just throwing that entire right into the hounds of unnamed bureaucrats who can decide yes or nay, yay or nay on, on caprice, correct? Uh, yeah, Seth, um, certainly. Uh, two things that we pointed out in the brief, and really, you know, our brief's more informative than argumentative, uh, but two of the, you know, uh, synthesizing points, when you have a very subjective proper cause or just cause or good cause regime, you're leaving it in the hands of a single bureaucrat mm-hmm. or a panel to determine whether you have a right or not. Mm-hmm. And there's two derivations you have, two effects that you have of that. The first one is really pretty horrible, which in a lot of jurisdictions you have to already show you're under extreme threat of your life before you can get a concealed carry permit. Uh, you know that old old saying, when seconds count, the police are minutes away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's sort of the regime you're right. faced with. Um, and then the second thing is there's, um, you know, there's some studies, there's a high correlation between, for example, are you contributing to the sheriff's campaign and do you get a concealed carry permit? Um, which you've got uh, a real specter of favoritism that that, uh, that that casts over it, and then at the end of the day, you got data such as uh, I forget the exact number. I think in the last five years there have been six or maybe three. It's in the single digits of the number of concealed carry permits issued in San Francisco. 
So you can imagine a city like of San Francisco, you have single digits of concealed carry permits. And that's the end result of when you have, have a subjective standard. Um, so having the objectivity where if you meet the statutory standards, you are entitled to the permit, um, that certainly is the much preferable way to go. And, um, you know, it, it really the brief just points out that that's really pretty much where uh, true everywhere except these six states. Uh, Mr. Webb, uh, uh, Mr. Gormley, where is your sense or what is your sense of the federal court's interpretation of the Second Amendment vis-a-vis it being a, um, a personal right that should reduce more and more or eliminate more and more of these kinds of restrictions or these kinds of policies? Uh, are the courts trending towards a more, shall we say, strict interpretation of the Se- Second Amendment along the lines of Heller? or much more uh, loosely in favor of states to do what New York is doing? Unfortunately, it's it's more in favor of the states doing what they want to mm-hmm. do. Um, you know, we, we, we've seen, um, and by the way, there is another uh, brief that's been filed um, that points out the, the lower courts really disregard of Heller. Um, it really, it's, it's some, some like the Fifth Circuit have been pretty true to it. Other circuits like my home circuit or uh, Zan and my home circuit or the Fourth Circuit have not. Um, and the good thing is I think it's a good opportunity for the Supreme Court to set down some rules for lower courts that, that they must follow. Um, Seth, you probably, you're an attorney, you probably know about strict scrutiny versus intermediate sure. scrutiny. That's a kind of a legally sort of thing, but that's how stringent is the test mm-hmm. A court will apply when when uh, examining a, a law that's been alleged as unconstitutional. Very very low standards are being applied by the lower court. I was just going to ask. Supreme that's a great court. that's a great point. I know it in the First Amendment context really well. I've never litigated in the Second Amendment area. What are what, is there a strict scrutiny test when it comes to Second Amendment, or is it more intermediate? Uh, it's unclear, okay. but they've trended towards intermediate or less. Okay. Um, really, I've seen cases where you'd have to call it a rational relationship uh, review. Um, Heller was unclear on that and purposely unclear on that, frankly, because Justice Scalia put in the, in the opinion he's not deciding that that day. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the court wants to go there. Um, I think it, um, considering the muddled mess of the lower court decisions, they're all over the map. Yeah. Uh, hopefully that would uh, persuade the court that we at least need clarity. Whichever way it breaks, clarity is better than uh, lack of clarity. No, absolutely right. And you do a great job in this brief. It's very clearly written. Let me read the audience the conclusion as we head into the end of the hour here. It is extraordinarily difficult and almost impossible to obtain a concealed carry permit in states like California, Hawaii, Hawaii Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and New York because the policies they have now effectively eliminate the general public's right to bear arms. Mr. Webb and Mr. Gormley, I hope you are successful with this brief and with this cause. I really do, and I really thank you for your efforts here and your time. Thank you, Seth. A pleasure. Absolutely. We'll do it again soon. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, Tevi Troy coming up. He's uh, been all over the place. He just uh, did an important piece on uh, one of the most important things Ronald Reagan did as president. He actually states and claims that though a domestic policy had huge foreign policy implications, we'll tell you about what that is on its anniversary. Um, He's coming right up on that as well as a piece that's getting a lot of attention also 
think it was raised by one of our callers yesterday, on the passing of Jackie Mason, the comedian. Um, so, uh, Dr. Tevi Troy coming right up. 602-508-0960 is the number. I also want to give you an update on the Larry Elder race and an update as well, an interesting update I wanted to talk with you about regarding the Democratic Party's open, increasingly and ever-increasingly obvious open embrace of Marxism. I did, by the way, a, an hour interview today with Bill Bennett on his podcast. He was interviewing me. And we got into a bunch of interesting things. The podcast will probably be posted tomorrow. We got into an interesting discussion about the division of America. I want to get your thoughts on as well in the next hour. The different ways America is divided. See if you agree with the assessment I came up with. I'd love to run it by you, and we'll do so in the uh, next hour as well. 602-508-0960. I'm Seth Liebson, the great presidential and cultural historian Tevi Troy, coming right up.